Script Pipeline reviews screenplays and TV pilots to connect writers with Hollywood's top producers and managers. For over 20 years, the company has helped launch the writing careers of some of the industry's brightest talent, resulting in spec sales totaling over $7 million. Learn more at scriptpipeline.com. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we are going behind the camera and talking about directing for TV comedies with a very special guest. We're talking to Alethea Jones, who's directed for TV shows like Gordon McGibbon's Life on Normal Street, Wrecked, and Queen America. Welcome. Thanks well, for having me. Thanks for being here. So first up, just tell us a little bit about your background and how did you end up in the industry and in LA? I started out as an actor, I think, because I grew up in rural Australia in the 80s, not knowing about filmmaking, certainly not seeing any female directors or identifying with directors, but I had access to drama classes in the back of the local church hall and I had a flair for storytelling. I also started choreographing. In high school, these things called Rocker Steadfords. In, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember Rocker Yeah, don't they like televise them and stuff in Australia? Yeah, yeah they're yeah. these huge dance competitions where it's like 100 kids on stage from each school telling a story to music for seven minutes. Okay. And it was very dynamic and I grew up watching them on television. Like kids had lights in their costumes. It was taken very seriously it's in like the Eurovision 90s. for kids or something. Like huge. That. People, <laughs> people see these things like from America now. They see these Australian competitions and they're like, oh, now we get Baz Luhrmann. Like we understand <laughs> who he is. So I also started choreographing those. So I think everything was pointing towards being a director. Like I was choreographing these a hundred kids as a 15 year old and doing acting classes. And it was really just a matter of time. I went to acting school even and kept choreographing, but the return of events started directing and went to film school, all the, the very conventional film school thing, graduated, made a bunch of shorts and then won a film festival called Tropfest, and part of the prize was a trip to L.A. Mm. And I wasn't getting very far in Australia because I made these bright comedies and the, the most successful <laughs> things were usually these bleak kind of beautiful think pieces about culture and I was just doing these, ah, like <laughs> weird things. But America got it. And so after winning the prize, people wanted to give me jobs. That's and, awesome. And I came here and then I moved here. And did you have any specific inspirations or things you really appreciated about specific movies or TV shows that drew you into that industry? I mean, I always found television and film very comforting. My parents were around, but my pupils would dilate when I would watch shows. And mm-hmm. I particularly identified with big entertainment. Like I loved Baz Luhrmann. Growing up, I remember when I saw Strictly Ballroom for the first time. So I've always, yeah, that sort of stuff really gave me great comfort. And can you talk us through a little bit more about what it was like breaking in as a director? You know, how does a young aspiring director out there get noticed? It was so hard. In in Australia, I was told to wait in line. So I'd won this huge film festival. I was getting interest from America. But in Australia, someone said, it's not your turn. Wait in line. So I thought, well, if I have to wait in line, I'll get at the back of the line in America. I had an agent (laughs) here at Paradigm and he was passionate about my work. So it was really getting this agent who then hustled for me for a good two years of me visiting, coming back and forth. As soon as I made the actual move, two years of general meetings coming over maybe three times a year. Finally, I sort of felt strong enough and just very relaxed in the room. And it was Amazon Studios that gave me my break. 
on a show called Gordon McGibbon's Life on Normal Street. And that was actually before Transparent. So I was telling people, I've just booked this show on Amazon. <laughs> and people are like, Amazon are doing, that's probably never going to work. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a thing. And I was like, I don't know. I love the show. And they gave me an episode and they were happy with it. And then in the next two years, they gave me four more episodes and, in fact, a pilot. I did a pilot for them as well for something. That's awesome. It and was great. Can you walk us through sort of what a director does on a TV show yeah. from pre all the way to post? Sure. It's interesting. I, I like talking about TV directing because it's a little bit different to film directing. And even what we're taught sometimes at film school, I certainly wasn't taught the TV side of it. So I, as a director, always thought of the filmmaker as the auteur, the director as the auteur and that single voice. But in television, it feels a little bit more like advertising. And luckily I had done commercials in Australia where you're dealing with clients. You have to understand that you have a showrunner, you have the show creator who has been with this story for sometimes many years, decades, maybe even it's their life. And so you can't sort of waltz in and be like, I have all the answers. I'm the leader, follow me. It's actually about getting that showrunner to download their vision to you so that you can execute it for them as faithfully as you can. I always feel like I, I get very attached to my showrunners. I quite like directing television. I also love doing features, but I like switching hats. So for me, it's about being in service to the showrunner, being in service to the studio as well, and then interpreting it and bringing what I want and, and being playful and being that person that comes in and has a vision and has some ideas and puts a little stamp on their episodes, but it's, it's a balance. What about your interactions with the writers and the showrunners specifically? What kind of things are you talking about in those early stages when you're coming in to direct? Mm. I think it's really important very early on. I like, I like to watch other directors at work. I like to sit on set as much as I can and just absorb it and meet the cast. On most shows, you do have a tone meeting with the showrunner and the writer is present as well. And that's just a three people in the room going through the script page by page. And usually I'll, I'll have prepped questions like, this is a joke here. How do you land these jokes? How do you cover these sorts of jokes? How do your cast work? I want to understand. Where, and, they'll, and they'll give me some great pointers like, oh, this person needs to play. Don't strangle them. Like, don't shut them. Don't corner them because you won't get their genius because it's comedy as well. So you have to allow each people to find their clown. Yeah. So tone is really important that, that, and, and in fact, I've, I've asked for tone meetings with showrunners when they haven't, like I've had an AD turn to me after and go, they don't do tone meetings on this show. And that was excellent. And it was a good <laughs> thing for me to sit down and corner the showrunners and say, Hey, wait, 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 tell me more about, <laughs> about these jokes. How do I crack them open? And they were excellent. Allow each people to have their clown. That's a, a sentence I'll be using in my <laughs> daily uh, language now. Well, we all, well, I think it goes back to when I was in acting school. They made us in second year do a unit on clowning. And, of course, yeah. we were all like, this is <laughs> terrible. But then we started to realize there's so much to clowning, the European clowns. And, yeah, everybody has an inner clown and it's their way of executing their comedy. So as a director, what are the things that you're looking for in a TV script, whether it's a pilot or a standard episode, that make your job as a director easier? Excellent question. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> well, something that I'm always looking for, even in feature scripts and television, because I get sent a lot of scripts and my time is really precious. Everybody's time is precious. And so I am trying to read even just in the first few sentences, I really am going, am I in safe hands? I'm going to give this person 
three hours. I read slow. I'm not a fast <laughs> reader because I think I'm trying to really understand how I visually see it. So I am very skeptical and, and trusting because it's like I've got to give my imagination over to this writer. So I'm looking for their way with words. I am looking for how smart they are when they write their action. And even though that's not dialogue, I just want to know if I'm in good hands. And they're the little tricks. And when I work with writers, when I'm developing my own scripts as a director with a writer, I'm telling them that all the time because they're studio execs reading it. So it, it is about those little turns of phrases. Unfortunately, typos, I mean, you do encounter typos. Even on my own work, I'll still catch typos when we're shooting. And I'm like, holy, wow, where'd that come from? But try and get rid of those typos if you can. I'm looking for original dialogue and original characters. And please, please stop describing women by their appearance. Please. It really is an eye-rolling thing for us, indexing women by their appearance. It's That's not... A character thing and and also you know i get really <laughs> this is my venting now but the shorthand sometimes that writers take with female characters for um violence against them or that they've been through a trauma in their past they don't usually give that to male characters so i'm looking for those little triggers and going eh, uh, this person doesn't know to your point, there's this confusion between trauma as character development yes. when it's not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, it's a shortcut. It, it feels a little lazy sometimes right. to and me. Exploitative. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. So as an outsider, like, what have you kind of learned about writer's rooms coming in as a director? Because we don't really have writer's rooms in Australia, so I found them very fascinating. Something I learned, and I, I guess it's we learned this on set too, is – Unfortunately, there's a lot of people skills involved. You might be the best writer and used to working on your own, but time and time again, I hear about a lot of conflict, a lot of politics in the room. So I would say if you find yourself in a writer's room with a problem, get yourself a therapist (laughs) and sort it out on the side because you want to be invited back because those writers in the room, even the writer's assistants, they go on to be showrunners. They go on to create their own series. And if you're that problem person in the room, you're not getting work again or you're getting taken with you to every show the showrunner does. And and you see the ones, my friends, that flourish, that go on. And the girl that wrote my first Gordimer episode, Gretchen Enders, is a joy and we were an absolute meeting of the minds and we keep pitching each other for work and working together in lockstep. We have a show together where I'm the producing director. And she gave me that show years ago before I proved worthy of directing 10 episodes of something. But now it's funny, like she shot up before I did as a writer and now I've done well as a director and we're dragging each other along. And so it's those beautiful relationships. It's people skills. It's the stuff you don't read about in books. What do you think is the right balance of action on the page for you as a director? You know, do you hate it when people are over-directing the script and telling you where to put the camera, all that kind of thing? I don't hate it. I personally feel very confident departing from it and, and having a dialogue with my writer and saying, oh, hey, but what about this? But I love it. For me, the writer is the designer of it. It's the floor plan. It's the blueprint. Why would I personally want a writer to censor themselves Maybe I I don't even get annoyed with camera angles, to be honest. I'm one of those directors that isn't a writer-director, so I have a lot of respect for the craft. I'm into it. I take ideas from anybody. But, again, it does come with confidence to go, hey, but what about this? And it's not – yeah, I I actually have my writers beside me on set. I love their input. Writers have saved me many a time 
and I keep talking about jokes or something, but they always feel safe to whisper in my ear and go, this is how I meant that. And then I'll go fix it. And suddenly my work is better. So I have the writers by my shoulder always. And how do you create that very communicative uh, atmosphere on set? It starts in prep where I do extend myself to the writer. I ask them to sit with me and have coffee. And some writers are like, what? You want to... <laughs> you want to talk to me? Uh, and I'm like, yeah, let's talk about your amazing script. And I try to empower the writer because the showrunner is often the front person for it. So I, I do go to my episode writer and empower them as much as possible. And then we have that flow on set. I like an easy set. I like laughter. And I don't know how I consciously do that, but I think I have a way of energetically affecting people just... We all feel when people are stressed, right? We, that people transmit stress. So I think we can also transmit joy just even by our being, not, not even by what we say. So that's what I – maybe that's my acting background too, that I have an energetic sensitivity. You know, you walk past a fight on a street, you're going to feel that energy. So, yeah, I work that way too. So maybe that's how it happens. Uh, you mentioned tone meetings before. How do you take the tone of the script and, like, what kind of tools are in the director's arsenal to put that on the screen? Well, I mean, it's just it is down to even referencing other films, uh, understanding if the show's not in its first season, w watching the show and understanding the language of comedy that is already there. I prepare a lot. I do floor plans and shot lists. And so when I'm sitting with the showrunners, like I have a program called Shot Designer, uh, which is on an iPad. Have you guys heard of Shot Designer? You basically, it's blocking, right? But when I can sit with my writer and I, so the production designer will give me the floor plan, I'll import it into Shot Designer and I'll add the characters and the cameras and I'm actually able to say, here's the scene from an overhead view and you animate it. They actually move and so they can see wow. how it goes. I can even show my cast that. I just worked with Catherine Zeta-Jones on Queen America and she's a dancer as well as an actor, so... I would show her and she'd be like, great, yes, I get it. And other times she'd be like, no, but I want to move over here. And I'm like, better, do it. And But I had the prep enough to be able to move the cameras economically. Because here's the other thing as well. When more inexperienced writers come up to you with a change on the day or during a scene, it's really useful for writers to understand if it's going to change blocking or going to change a whole thing. Every time you move a camera, it's at least 20 minutes or half an hour to just move it. Maybe you're handheld. Maybe it's all lit from above and you're Jean-Marc Valley and you can do that. But often you're moving a whole wall of everything. Even the sound guys, like everybody just has to move like a little galaxy, like you're orbiting like around, like a constellation. So it's just a balance of preparation and, and having people come to you with early ideas. And same with cast, actually. I often have cast come up to me halfway through a scene and go, can I do this? Can I walk over there? And it's like, Yes, Catherine. But if it's not Catherine, it's like, no. <laughs> Find a way to say it on your mark. Like you have to have a sensitivity to how blocking works and how cameras, the dance of the, the camera and the actor and then the story that plays out in that as well. And There's those choreography skills coming in. Handy. Right. I yeah. love that stuff. Yeah, I do like my blocking. <laughs> and how do you find that balance between the script, your vision as a director, and then what the actor wants to do? How do you kind of weigh all those things up? Oh, that's the best part of directing. Like that that's that's the jazz, that's the unknown quantity of trying to find that pairing. I do really like the collaboration of filmmaking. I, I don't count myself as an auteur, even on the feature film side. I really like my cinematographers and the, I always want to share the single card credit with everyone because we're all equals. So 
I do speak positively. I speak in positives. I don't speak in negatives. Uh, and, and just like when you're talking about writing, you're talking in objectives. What are we moving towards? Not what we're moving away from. I will try to say, let's go again this time, reach for this, or this time strive for this to hit this beat. I, I don't focus on what didn't work in the scene before. Maybe on the fourth go, I might say, you know what's not working when you're dropping into this spot? So what I want you to move towards. I'm always, And not only is that effective in that we know what to move towards, we know what target to hit, but their confidence remains intact and yeah. they remain brave right. and they feel safe and they feel funny. And then when you, we all know when we feel funny and loved and seen, we're going to bring better work. We're going to keep trying stuff. And that's all I want is to keep everybody in a place of trying new things and trying their best. And that's down to my crew as well. And you brought up earlier this idea of the writer on set mm -hmm. helping you creatively. Uh, how does a TV director work on set with the writers, especially considering that TV is primarily a writer's medium? Mm -hmm. How does that interaction work? It changes from show to show. I have had writers very near me and beside me. I've had other shows where the writers are not on set and it's just the showrunner. And I've had another show where sometimes the showrunner would stick his head in and sometimes not. Sometimes I'd really be alone. But that was actually that was Gautama. That was the third season of Gordon McGibbons where I they knew that I had the fabric of the show and I knew what I was doing. And it was actually very fun when the show, I'd be like, yay, I'm always happy to have the showrunner around. So it changes from show to show. I have heard stories where the writer is there too much and really vocal and directing it and coming from a place of perhaps not understanding the craft of filmmaking but still transmitting their anxiety and nervousness about what the showrunner has expected from them. But I guess that's a culture that always trickles down from the showrunner. I'm fascinated with setting that tone and being a leader. And do you feel the things that you learned as an actor in those early years have helped you become a better director? Absolutely. Everything I learned as an actor, everything I learned as a choreographer. Yeah, but I, I have a lot of empathy for my cast. I have experienced being abandoned by a director, just like being left in front of the camera, flailing. And so my actors never feel abandoned. I think because I wrote all my short films at film school and they were terrible. They were so bad. <laughs> I love my writers. I, I don't have a job without them. I especially don't because I'm not going to generate my own work. I have that compassion as well from feeling like such a bad. It all comes, <laughs> essentially my career comes from me running away from being a terrible artist, like <laughs> a terrible actor, terrible writer, uh, um, and here we are. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking myself out of work as we speak. Well, speaking of work, let's move on to more of the business side. How do directors find new projects to work on, whether it's a directing assignment or an original project that you want to direct? Can you walk us through that process? Yeah, Mostly at this stage, it's my agent and my manager who bring in what's called an open directing assignment. So usually a script has been picked up at a production company or a studio and they send it out. And if you have a good agent, if you're at a good agent, it's, it's all to do with being at first and foremost at a good agency who is even able to catch those scripts and those scripts get sent to them. And then within there, hopefully you have a good agent that's thinking of you and going, yeah, I know Alethea wants... At the moment, all I'm looking for is big, elevated content, really noisy, really colorful and energetic. I want action, musicals, sci-fi. I get sent other scripts too. I, my first feature film is a film called Fun Mum Dinner, which is a broad comedy, which I'm like, done. I did that and I did that as a means to an end and I had the time of my life. But I still get sent a lot of mum scripts 
my agent doesn't part. He tells me about them. He's like, so I just need to tell you that this script came in for you about four mums that go to Paris. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, no, I, I please thank them for sending it, but I'm not going to do that movie. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's all to do with my fabulous agent going out and catching those scripts and bringing them into me. I do generate things. I just kind of went to Australia for a, a musical, funnily enough, about Rocker Steadford, which I was telling you about the, the dance competition. So I'm developing that. It's my story. I'll get the story credit, but I'm not writing it. And with those open directing assignments, how do you win those and rise above the crop? Are you going in and pitching them on things? Yes. Were you preparing things? You know how I'm really good at putting myself down for being a bad writer and a bad actor? <laughs> I'm actually really good at pitching. Like by accident, I became prodigious at PowerPoint. <laughs> like, what a terrible superpower to have. I'm really good at PowerPoint. Not that I do the animated PowerPoints, but I compile my documents in PowerPoint because it's so intuitive. But yeah, in that I, I'll go in, maybe my first meeting, this is for a feature by the way, or a pilot. Um, I will go in and just have an initial discussion. Maybe it's even a phone call. So we're all on the same page. The producers or the showrunner can download their vision to me if they like what I had to say, if they like my work, they will invite me to come in and present. And that's when I'll put together a document. First studio film that I got, it was a 100-page presentation. By the end of the process, like I started with a 30-page thing and, and within that presentation I am telling the writers and telling the producer, here's who I'd want to cast. Maybe there's four characters. And for each of those characters I might offer them four actors. And, of course, it's not even saying who we'll end up getting, but it's more, here's how I understand the character to be. What do you think? And I'm doing reference films. I'm doing color palette. I'm doing the tone of the comedy, the cinematography. There might be other things. And, and people ask me what, what my presentations are made up of, and it varies. And I always tell directors that each script tells you what it wants to be. It tells you what you should present on. Some will be texture. Sometimes I'll talk about music and score. Mostly I won't. It's even weird, but I, I even think down to what font you pick. <laughs> so like I'll go into da font that, pro, that yeah. <laughs> and I will get specific fonts. Ben. And I have had people say, great font. Like, because it, I mean, if you do really terrible font in your presentation, it kind of subconsciously influences people. Like, because I'm meant to have taste. I'm meant to show them how I want to bring their film to life. So, it's those little things too. Are you saying you don't use papyrus? <laughs> Avatar does apparently. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And for episodic TV, is that more a matter of your reel and your resume or your it personal is. connections? Okay. Yeah. Interestingly, so for the Gordon McGibbons show, because I hadn't done any television, it was a short film that I'd made. And I sat there with the Amazon exec and it, this was just not even to do the pilot. This was just to do an episode of a kid's show. And I was like, can I put a presentation together for you? And she's like, oh, my God, we don't do that. And she goes, we should. And I said, you should, and I will do the best one. And I, I'd love to do that for you. And I walked out and I rang my agent and said, I think I'm going to put a pitch together for her. And he was like, you're an idiot. I'm just trying to get you a job. I'm just trying to book you. You're creating more work for yourself. But luckily enough, I think they liked the gesture and they gave me the job anyway. I didn't have to present. But, yeah, for the normal stuff, it's really just my latest thing uh, was just a call with, with the showrunners and two producers and they booked me based on my Queen America stuff and my short films. And once you got that job at Amazon, what was the process like reading the scripts and getting the feel for the show Love. and entering? Oh, my gosh. It's like 
a birthday or Christmas morning when you get your script because you've, you've been assigned the block and you don't know who your writer is. And so it's like, is my script going to be any good? <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's special. Like, I love it. I love getting my scripts and figuring out that that first read is priceless. So I'll go through it and I'll take really messy notes. I have a really nice shorthand. I use I annotate and I just I'll draw love hearts on the script. or like So I just want to remember how I felt about things. I'll circle things that don't make sense to me. If I have ideas, I'll quickly write them down, but I won't spend too much time. And then sifting through it over and over and over again so that I have my list of questions about tone, about comedy, about how to execute things, or and, of course, script notes and ideas. And hopefully you have a showrunner that likes them and half of them love it and others don't really want to hear script notes. They've gone through the writer's room for months. The studio have, like, been tearing them to pieces. The last thing they want is some person flying in going, hey, how about this? <laughs> so if that was your first kind of professional directing work in America, did you do you think you made any rookie mistakes or anything you wish you'd known then that you know now? As a director? Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I never knew about? <laughs> Could I just be really naive? They didn't teach me this. Did we go to the same film school, uh, Nick? VCA, yeah. 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 Um, but years apart. Yes. <laughs> I never learned about eyelines at VCA. Did you learn about yeah. eyelines? I did the screenwriting program, oh. so they didn't teach me anything about film. Well, I did the <laughs> directing thing, and they never really, unless I really? was sleepy or something. So on Gautama, my AD, I learned a lot. I think the other person that's your best friend on set, when you're starting out as a director, is your AD. And I did make the right choice to turn to my AD on my first day of prep and say, we both know I've never done this before and I just want to welcome you into my process. And please, please, please feel free to share any wisdom as it comes up and if you see me making mistakes. And he was like, oh, my God, thank you. Hmm. And he was a resource and I used that resource. He saved my butt. So you also worked on Wrecked for mm -hmm. TBS. What were the differences between directing children's television essentially and TV intended for uh, more adults or a wider audience? Oh, I had the time of my life on Wrecked and it was really one of my favourite gigs I've ever done. And it was interesting because I thought I was meeting on another show and the studio TBS said, we want to talk to you about Wrecked. It's about a group of people that it's like a parody of Lost. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like I didn't really go for Lost and but I met on it anyway. I went home, they sent me a link to Wrecked and I was hooked. I just thought it was adorable and funny. But interestingly, like I, like it was brutal. Like I had these two battle royale episodes. I told the showrunners that I wanted to do action and that I I have a couple of action movies that I'm close to making. And so they took that I don't know. I think they misunderstood and thought that I had already done action <laughs> and because I've sort of become the spokesperson for women in stunts here as well because no one was looking out for female stunt coordinators. I started speaking out for them and they gave me the battle royale episodes, like so much to the point where even whilst I was shooting a rogue trident hit my thigh, like, <laughs> like flew out of someone. Like, yeah, so it, it was everything, electrocution, like people getting electrocuted, not just in the show, not in real life, but battle axes, chainsaws, ninja stars, everything. I, I had so many fights and all the cast going at each other. It was a joy. And I think my choreography came into that. It didn't feel any different. Uh, and perhaps because of my acting experience, I did, when I was doing Gautama, I was 
doing pretty sophisticated acting exercises with these kids and they loved it because they were sick of being treated like puppies so i'm like hey let's do some meisner stuff have you heard of meisner and they're like no and i'm gonna we're gonna do some repetition and they don't know what that is and and so they loved it. i was doing objectives with those kids so it was quite sweet and and wrecked is actually a really sweet show i don't know if you've seen it but it's sort of like if parks and recreation all took a private flight that crashed yeah. on an island. It's about really basic, sweet people in really high-stakes situations, which is where the comedy comes from. They're simple people and they have to murder and fight and mm-hmm. it's just hilarious. So It's a great show. Yeah, it's a great show and those cast, they play and they play differently. Some of them do need to freestyle. But the showrunners on that show, Justin and Jordan Shipley, are so masterful and such great leaders they empowered me to do what I wanted but also felt very calm and very comfortable stepping in and saying hey try this joke and I welcomed them to do that too what's it like kind of shooting on a you know destination shoot like that rather than you know in a studio somewhere I had a great time like we were in well I was only there for a month And it still sounds like a long time. And they're actually in the middle of that. There was a Category 3 cyclone and it was pretty dangerous and we had to shut down. But I was only in prep, so my episode didn't shut down. That's when I taught myself shot designer. I was stuck (laughs) in my hotel room for a day and I was like, I'm going to teach myself this program and I'm going to watch the how-to videos because I never have time to watch how-to videos. So I did. It was heaven. We're in a five-star resort, but there were guys that were there like, in the show in season three, there are these billionaires and they're only in a couple of scenes. And in some episodes, they're not in any, but they were, it was cheaper to bring them over from America and put them up in this resort. So they said they felt like zombies, like that, that, that there was a zombie outbreak and that they were stuck in this five-star resort whilst there was like, they just couldn't leave. And they, <laughs> they were in this days of paradise of just having breakfast every morning and being hilarious. And I'd sit with one of the writers and a couple of these improvising guys and we'd all eat breakfast and they were just, they were like, well, I'm just going to go work out now. And and they were just it sounds terrible. It was yeah, but I, I actually had a great time. I, I I loved it. Survivor was shooting near you guys. Yeah, many they, survivors were yeah, shooting on near Fiji us because the cyclone appeared on the show, and they had to evacuate some of the contestants uh, oh from gosh. the island. Yeah, because I had just discovered Survivor a year ago, so I'm in heaven. I, I'm like, there's 30 seasons yeah. to watch. Almost 40 now. Oh yeah. my god, it's uh, so good. Yeah, they were like saying the Germans. Apparently, all the European survivors share each other's sets. So they all shoot at the same time and rotate. I think that's really smart. But they were, yeah, they were threatening to take me to see it. Not threatening, <laughs> offering. Maybe I was threatening them. Yeah, no, it was it was great. And Fiji is actually a very interesting place. I've gotten to shoot in Fiji this year and also Atlanta. And they're two places that people are very curious about the offsets, the money back that you get for shooting in those places. Fiji's like a crazy offset. Like I think it's. 40% or feel, wow. like it's it's insanely high and now I've shot there and I have this pirate action comedy and so I'm like let's go back to Fiji <laughs> and now I get it I understand that there are it's tricky and I'm sure if you had a line producer or a production manager on the show they would pull their hair out and tell you how difficult it is but I had a, to- a great time. So you also directed Queen America for Facebook Watch, which is Facebook's new content service. What was it like working with them as a company compared to more traditional networks or studios? Well, interestingly, because I'd had that experience with Amazon, with people saying, what? When I'm like, I'm doing a Facebook show, everyone's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's going to work. I know it works for Amazon. But it was actually fantastic because, I mean, they've all come from 
other studios, a lot of Netflix people, uh, especially in terms of trying to figure out those algorithms. And the only difficult thing that we had was that it's such new technology. No one knows how to find the show. But I did my job. I made the show well. They were changing the algorithm. Even though there's maybe three or four shows that have gone before us, we were their biggest show and people still didn't know how to find it. And it wasn't even – it was doing things like it wasn't even rolling into the next episode on certain devices. If you're watching it on Facebook television on the app on a smart TV, it would roll into the next episode. But on a laptop, for me, it was – the ne- you'd watch an episode and it would go to a puppy clip from <laughs> Dodo. Yeah. So, and they're like – so, I reported – I shared that with the Facebook people and they're like, oh, you must watch a lot of Dodo stuff. And I'm like, yes, yeah, so what? Like, <laughs> I do. I do watch a lot of puppy stuff. But I'm in the middle of watching my show, like, offer up the next episode. But that was great. They went and got a bunch of ex-Netflix employers and ironed it out. And now, like, our, our views went up dramatically because people – were being offered the show. And so you directed all 10 episodes of mm-hmm. Queen America. What's it like being a producing director and setting the kind of vision for the entire series as opposed to just coming in episodically? Oh, I love it. I, I got a real taste for producing directing when I did my pilot for Amazon. And it, it, it really is, it's just wonderful, especially in television, because you do hear about certain shows that have really difficult cultures and, you know, like the way people are with each other, the language that's used, the way that you're going to operate. So I I think it's a great honour being part of setting up that tone, the respect, the joy, all of that. So that's what I really knuckled down and made sure that we had that. But I love that, figuring out a shooting style. Now, unfortunately, like I I got back from Fiji and on the runway when we touched down, I turned my phone on and had a call from Catherine's manager asking if I'd like to do it. And then I was on the show the next week and just going at it. And I cross-boarded all 10 episodes too. So I'm like, I don't know what episode this scene's from. I know it's the middle. Like I know it's either three or four, but no one did really. So the showrunner was amazing, Megan Oppenheimer knew. But otherwise, it's that's a lot. That's five hours of content to shoot at once. How long are you shooting for? It's like we, shooting we a movie. We shot for or... 10 weeks. Yeah, it, yeah, it was it was like doing a movie except more because more movie. It's like two movies. Someone was saying sometimes three movies. So I was very comfortable at the start. I was terrified, but then I was fine. And I was very comfortable saying, I don't know. I think it's important, especially as a director, when you get people starting out in their career, they don't want to admit what they don't know because they have to be the strong leader. But I I was rewarded on Gautama by telling the AD, Hey, I don't know. Like I, I know what I know, but I'm pretty sure there's so much more that I'm going to mess up. So I've always been rewarded for being upfront about that. Yeah. And how do you keep your sanity when you're doing this batch of 10 episodes? You don't have a life outside of it. Like I really was on my shot list was 75 pages long. Um, I had an assistant. I've never had it. I hadn't had an assistant before. And I didn't understand how I would use an assistant until I got into shooting. And she basically took care of everything domestic for me. It it really was like the production plugged into me and was on my, I was giving it life support from me and she would wheel me in and plug me in. And then I just direct and I did it really well, but then I would shut down and she'd wheel me home (laughs) and feed me and tell me things I had to sign and do. And I just had no capacity for anything but the show. And that's kind of a really lovely place to be in. And I was actually very, very happy during the shoot, but of course came out the other end completely exhausted and shell-shocked going, what happened? What was that? (laughs) But in the moment I was very content. It was a flow state. It's just you're in the matrix just going at it. (laughs) 
And you said you were kind of cross-boarding everything. Mm-hmm. Do you ever run into any issues with that when, in terms of like losing the thread of the episodes when you get into post? Do you find that you've missed something? Or There's one thing that just yesterday I felt that I had – and I always think it's the director's fault, to be honest, because you have to take responsibility. I felt that I had missed something – in the final episode of Queen America. And I had to say we need to put an ad break there because the flow is too clunky. There's a big jump in, in a character's performance and now that's it and, and it's still amazing. The scenes that I'm talking about are both amazing scenes but next to each other I felt I let everyone down in terms of that shape. And are you sort of like re-watching scenes before you go into those other ones to try and keep you in the mindset of that or there was no time and and they weren't really even being edited like because on one day you might shoot a scene from episode 10 and one from episode three so really it's down to your script supervisor to deliver and we didn't have a very experienced we we lost our perfect script supervisor her father became ill and she had to go back Mm -hmm. to morocco and care for him so we had someone swing in and she wasn't as experienced and also she didn't have the prep you need to prep as a script supervisor so she swung in whilst we were shooting so i don't blame her at all for missing that so you talked a bit about this earlier in the episode but can you dig a little bit deeper in terms of the differences between directing for tv versus features uh, especially in terms of the amount of power that Mm -hmm. a director is given on certain projects yeah I had a bit of experience directing commercials and the guy that ran the commercials production company that I worked under, his name's Trent O'Donnell, and he came out here ahead of me. He did a bunch of Australian TV. He's an Aussie. And he came out here and did New Girl. And he did, I think, one episode of New Girl. And then they invited him back to be the producing director. He was that good. And he stayed with them for years. And Trent taught me something really special that I think has helped me get all my TV work, which was in television you have to respect the stakeholder. You can't just be the director that's like, well, what is this writer note? Like they've only, they don't know how to shoot. They don't know how to edit. They know the material more than you. It's in their DNA. It is of them and it's from them. Same with the studio. They have invested millions into this. So it would be an error to disrespect them and to exclude them from the process. So I do feel I am in service to the showrunner's vision and I come in with humility but I come in with confidence and strength and always ideas. I am there because the showrunner is plugged in even more unless you're doing block shooting 10 episodes as the director. The showrunner is the one that the production is in life support connected to. So I'm there to give them juice to be like, hey, what about this and that and having absorbed their vision. Whereas on features, I'm the originator, the writer is often – shuffled off to the side and I am one of those people that brings them back in and fights for them and includes them because again I do view the writer as a resource and as the originator of the work in features but yeah it is more on the director and obviously a singular vision is important I I think there's room for both I'm actually quite delighted by the fact that tv is more a writer's medium it's nice it's really nice and because it's about long-form development and character and long-form story that's writing and film make like a feature film is it's a partnership and the director happens to have a little more power it just you just need really a film it just lives or dies by singular vision it can fall to anyone but in features it falls to the director so now that you've had all this success in the u.s have you found it easier to go back to australia and get work there and is that something you're interested in yeah i am really excited to go back to australia and yes 
absolutely a lot more work is coming in. I've been offered a a lot of television work and a a lot of films and I'm just waiting for the right thing because now I have a life here. Like I've got my dogs here, so it's really hard (laughs) to take them back and I'm never going to turn down a good opportunity because I can't take my dog, but the right things will come in and I've got some beautiful support from Screen Australia, from the Australian government, and they've really been kind to me and helped me And because I think I did it on my own. I think that's how it should be. You just get out there and none of my shorts, because a lot of short filmmakers make government-funded shorts and mine were just rough and ready and (laughs) a couple of thousand dollars and off you go. So I didn't really have any support. I didn't ask for it. So, yeah, the government's been really supportive and producers. So I have a bunch of Australian projects, actually. Didn't Johnny Depp bring his dog to Australia? Who was yes. it? Oh, there was a whole bunch of controversy yeah. about that. <laughs> on his private jet. Oh, boy. He didn't <laughs> check them into quarantine. You can bring them in on a private jet, but they have to be quarantined and they have to get all these. It's really complicated. Yeah, they have to get, like, rabies shots 18 months or something before flying. They've got a prove that they don't have rabies so then when they land and you hold them for 10 days they take the blood again wow. so it's like they're cross-referencing and going, yep they still don't have wow. it uh-huh. Ugh. yeah so i mean given how difficult it is to break in from overseas do you think there should or could be a better framework for emerging talent coming out of australia whether directors writers things like that i feel like it's easy to break in i had trouble breaking in in australia really I couldn't get anything. So it was very easy for me here. I don't know. Like, and I guess that's what I mean, like in terms of I feel like it's harder to break in in Australia. Oh, so I yeah. think there could be something to help people back there. I feel like I've noticed some changes. I think people are getting help back there. There's the whole web series initiatives. And I think there's a lot of really nice support because it is it is like little turtles trying to make it to the ocean, right? Are they turtles <laughs> or tortoises? Uh, turtles, They're turtles, turtles right? I think, yeah. So it's like there is part of it where the toughies do have to survive. So there's a certain amount of support you have to give them, but then it is a meritocracy and the strong ones and and the bright ones shine through. At Tropfest, I had an amazing jury. On my jury, it was Nicole Kidman and Kate Blanchett and Jeffrey Rush and Tony Collette and, weirdly, Charles Randolph. Do you know who Charles is? He he got the Oscar for writing The Big Short. Isn't that, like, amazing? And so he spoke to us when we were just before the festival. He spoke to all the finalists and he gave this keynote speech that was just amazing. He was just, I don't remember what he'd done. He hadn't done The Big Short yet and I actually think The Big Short is a masterpiece. Like, it's it's one of the definitive films for me and uh, one of the seminal films. But he said something that made me happy because I wasn't getting anywhere in Australia and all of my shorts would win the Audience Award and comedy but they'd never win best film and i was and i would always get really like why am i getting this concession prize of best comedy when like why does by virtue of there being there's not best drama it's not best drama best comedy best film it's best film and best comedy <laughs> it's like naturally all of the best films were going to these really thoughtful impressionistic dramas about people in poverty living in caravans and mm-hmm. bloody noses i don't know um but Charles always said, take heart because the cream always rises to the top. It just does. If, if you're good, you will find a way. You just have to work really hard until then. And I liked that he said that. And I feel that way about the Australian industry in here, that if you keep working and if you're good, it will find a way. There are avenues and people that are looking for that work and competitions. You just have to go for it. Life uh, finds a way. (laughs) (laughs) What are your own plans for the future? And do you have any future movies or shows that uh, you're looking forward to directing or working on? Mm -hmm. 
Um, Anything you, you can talk about? I know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't talk about many, but I have some very exciting, exciting shows. I'm pitching on two wonderful studio movies at the moment and I'm throwing everything at them. I'm doing my best PowerPoint you could ever imagine. <laughs> so they're fun. Um, I have an action movie that is very – I have to think there's an actress that wants to do my movie and – if I want to do it with her, I make, could start making the movie tomorrow, to be honest. So I just I just have to rearrange my vision and, and see if she could work. It could be a genius move to put this unexpected actress in or a complete tonal flop. Like it's such a narrow bullseye. But so I'm thinking about that this weekend. I have a big musical that I've just sold to a studio with a great actress attached. So maybe we'll make that at the end of the year. If Queen America goes again, we all have agreed that there shouldn't – well, because it was 10 episodes – you can just get away with cross-boarding 10 episodes. You can't do that with 13. And a second season will be 13 episodes. And I don't want to do all that. So I'll probably do the first three or four. And it's funny, I was just interviewing on another TV show and they said they didn't know I had done all of Queen America. <laughs> and they said to me, would you be okay cross-boarding two hour-long episodes? <laughs> I basically laugh like that too. I'm like, um... Nothing scares me. And I got that gig. So I might go do that unless I do my feature. Just noisy, noisy stuff. I don't want to do broad stuff anymore. I want to do big, weird, comedy, magical, weird stuff. All right, before we go, we have a couple of final questions. Uh, Number one, what are you watching on TV right now? Oh, my God. I just got back from Australia and started watching Sharp Objects. And watching that with jet lag was a joy. Like <laughs> it was actually the perfect companion piece to being half out of your body. I just, that for me, that was masterful storytelling, visual storytelling at its finest, very restrained. I love Jean-Marc Valley and anything he does. And of course, Marty Noxon. So that has been an absolute standout for me. I just started watching Babylon Berlin. All the Australians are talking about it. It must be on one of our very restricted streaming <laughs> platforms. Stan or something, yeah. <laughs> That's really compelling and it's German. But, yeah, my, my standout shows, like I just think The Handmaid's Tale is, is oh, is amazing. And But the best show of the whole year of my whole life, actually, now that we're going, <laughs> is Succession. Have you guys oh, seen that? HBO. HBO. Yeah, no. It's Adam McKay who also made The Big Show. Right, yeah. Right. Guys, everybody at home, everyone, Succession in terms of its scripts. And you've got to give it a few episodes, but that's the best TV I've seen in my life, wow. my absolute life. Wow. High yeah. praise. High, yeah, happy to give it. And I've seen Game of Thrones and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, is there any final advice that you would give to aspiring writers, directors, filmmakers? For directors, people have come to me asking me for help uh, with their career. There's nothing I can really do as a fellow director to help. My advice is always put your head down and make a killer short film. And then when you've got nothing to do, make another one. I had three. I had three short films that stacked on top of each other started getting me work and I made them really simply and my key to making good short films was just not compromising on anything. It's so hard making a short film so usually you're tempted to shoot in your own house or to shoot with your friends but push and and by pushing I mean go to a local theatre performance, go to a Groundlings show or the local improv group and make friends with people at your level with your peers because you will all grow together like I grew with my writer Gretchen and you come up through the ranks together. Like I started out with Patrick Brammel who's in one of my short films who's an amazing actor over here and he's now a showrunner on a show called No Activity and he's the star of it but I just knew him when he was doing theatre in Melbourne 
and he was in my shorts. So make friends with actors that are good, put them in your work. Also, it's it's hard to get some like short filmmakers send me their feature script to read and I don't have time to like <laughs> so send again, send it to your peers, send it to the people. But maybe, you know, if, if, send it to producers and stuff. But also those first five pages, those first 10 pages are critical. And, and for busy people, I, I'm sorry to sound brutal, but if I'm not hooked by 30 pages, I mean, this is nothing new. We've read this in books, but it's true. I'd read it. And then I started doing it. If I'm not in by 30 pages is generous. I can tell if a script's going to be bad by 10 pages, to be honest. So you kind of do have to do something a little bit noisy and do interesting things. Even how you describe your characters, like I said, don't just put it down to what they look like. Find interesting turns of phrase. Make it interesting, especially those first pages. Absolutely. Uh, And lastly, besides the font.com, do you have any resources (laughs) you can recommend, be it books, websites, podcasts, anything, apps? Hmm. I really, really enjoy listening to the DGA podcasts. They're free. And I've learned so much from listening to some great filmmakers. A program that I use is Shot Designer for for blocking, and that's just wonderful to teach yourself. In fact, you could even maybe do it as a writer just to figure out where things fall over, and you're like, oh, that never would have worked because the characters go here and there. So Shot Designer is excellent. I actually also use a program called Scriptation. Have you guys? Yeah. yeah. And In what fact, I- they sponsor one of our past episodes. No way. Yeah. I hope they sponsor this one. We're getting sponsored by PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Scriptation, obviously, I guess you think when I was, I had 10 episodes to keep track of and I use I annotate normally, but Scriptation was better for me because I would get the production office to make a special PDF just for me. Every time a new draft of just one episode came out, I would have them compile a whole new PDF of all 10 episodes and then I could import it into Scriptation and take my notes across. Mm. It's just all about having those writer's notes every note, every, every when I'm going to locations, I'm taking notes in the script, in the scene. I'm taking photos and uploading it into Scriptation in the scene of the location. So to do that for, what is it, 300 pages worth of script I found scriptation invaluable. All right. So that brings us to the end of our episode. But before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get exclusive content, opportunities, and merch, and we can keep producing a great show for you every week. So thanks to everyone for tuning in, and thanks to Alethea for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, you can get all the show notes for this episode, including a link to thefun.com at paperteam.co slash 118. If you want to leave us a review, you can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all of those reviews will help us find new listeners and build our community. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Uh, where can people find you on social media if you want to be found? Oh, yeah. I'm Alethea Jones, A-L-E-T-H-E-A Jones on Instagram and Twitter. I locked that name down. Nice. Nice. The 2019 Script Pipeline season is now open, and writers can submit by March 1st for a reduced entry fee. Script Pipeline finalists and winners receive extensive long-term industry exposure, and they have one of the biggest grand prizes for writing worldwide at $50,000. Learn more at scriptpipeline.com. I've had a great personal experience with Script Pipeline myself. I was a runner-up in one of their competitions back in the early days, and they did a lot for me and helped me build some great relationships. So definitely check those guys out. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week, we'll have our January paper scraps and feedback on more of those paper tease entries people are sending in. 
Mm, it's going to be very current and uh, interesting. <laughs> it didn't sound like you believed that. <laughs> I guess we'll see you next week. See you guys then. See ya.